report so we can preserve this for posterity. Uh, thank you guys for joining us once again. I'm Melanie Alnwick with the uh, Mansion Murders Trial Podcast. I'm going to try to work my little handy-dandy uh, clicker here. That means this is me. That's our wide shot. And Paul Wagner is joining me this morning. Paul also has been uh, joining in on the trial coverage. So um, it's nice to have Paul here because then we get an opportunity to fill each other in on some of the things that uh, we missed. And um, also good to kind of take people's questions. Uh, we are in week three of the trial. Uh, so far, it has all been focusing on, at least this week so far, the focus really has been on Darren Wint and the physical evidence. We finally got down to the suspect himself. Yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, we did here uh, this week had to do with his Facebook posts, uh, uh, where he was on the 14th and the 15th, uh, even the 16th and the 17th from right. his uh, stepmother who testified, uh, the DNA inside the house, um, uh, the, the van that he owned and where it was uh, found and burned um, was the testimony in the late yesterday. So lots to talk about. Right. Okay, so the first thing we want to talk about is uh, Darren Wynn's stepmom. She testified this week. And, um, you know, we all were made aware that she didn't want her name out there. So I think most of us in the media respected that. Um, uh, but she was uh, definitely a, um, uh, I, I don't want to really call her like a timid witness. And, and she certainly wasn't one of those witnesses that didn't want to cooperate. She seemed probably. She was forthcoming. Yeah. But she was, she it. was pretty much just giving a timeline. Right. It, that's the way I took it. In fact, uh, the prosecutor came up to me afterward and uh, asked me about it and uh, Laura Bach. And I said, well, we thought that her testimony might be a lot more interesting than it actually was. <laughs> and, and in a way, I suppose that's kind of good because it, she was laying out facts. So let's talk about um, the, some of the key facts that she laid out. First of all, it, she talked about uh, when I was there that um, Darren Wint had come to uh, live with her, her husband, Darren's father, and a, a a young girl, half-sister of Darren's, um, in March of 2015. He'd recently been put out of the home, the, the apartment he was sharing with his mother. They were going to go into what that was all about, but then realized uh, maybe they didn't need to go into that. Uh, but uh, there was some event that happened as to uh, why he suddenly was out on the street. And she said that she talked to Darren's dad and said, we need to take him in. I don't want him out on the street. So he'd only been living there at their house for a couple of months. He did not have a key to the house. And um, she said that basically what he did is he would get up in the morning, five in the morning, he would leave the house. He would go, uh, he said he was looking for work. And then he would um, come home, have something to eat. Go to, he'd come home at 10 a.m. He'd have something to eat. He'd go to the gym. And then he'd come back, have something to eat. And then literally, she said he was in his room or in the house on his phone all day and all night. That's what he did. And this is key, right, Paul? Yeah, because uh, he was using Facebook uh, for uh, office phone. Um, in fact, he used it for voice calls, too. So there was a tremendous amount of information that they got off his Facebook page. In fact... The man who testified about it, who went through, it was a Secret Service analyst, um, said there were thousands and thousands of pages that they got in a PDF from Facebook to show his activity. And that was very key to this because it showed uh, that he was posting as many as 70 times a day on Facebook, not only putting up um, pictures and information but he was using facebook messenger and he was using the voice service as well i didn't even know you facebook had a voice service it does and and one of our uh, one of our friends on the um mansion murders facebook page had said that they thought that probably meant he didn't have a cell plan and you have to so you can use facebook over wi-fi for these things and there was a big question as to where was his phone i'm guessing if he had a cell plan and if he had his phone on him they could have tracked his locations like they did with some of these other uh witnesses and other players in in the case um but what was interesting is so the mom said that she didn't see him from the 13th to the 14th that she was worried about him because uh he'd never stayed out before and um that she didn't see him again until 6 p.m. 
on the 14th when he came back in that blue minivan. Then she mentioned the man, the van was gone as well, that that was the vehicle that he drove. She did not see him again until 6 p.m. on the 14th. Thursday, on the 14th. Yeah, around 6 o'clock. And she said he did drive in on the van, with the van. Right. Right. My notes say then he was home all day on the 15th. Right. And then at 5 a.m. on the 16th, uh, she had been out the night before. She comes back. She finds Darren is home and asleep, but the van is not there. Right. And she asks him about the van, and he—I I wrote this in quotes. She, she, it was, he was asked about the van, and he went, oh, well, sort of shrugging his shoulders, and said something like, just leave it. And they right, wanted and to know. Call, and, and didn't call the police. Didn't call the police, and he didn't want to report it to the police. Right. 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 Now, we learned yesterday um, from the chief of the Bladensburg Volunteer Fire Department, as well as a fire investigator with the Prince George's County uh, Fire Department, that, in fact, the van was found burning. And let me go to my notes real quick. and Froelich. Right. And it was just, it was May 16th after midnight. Right. That they found the van burning. Right. And you weren't there for the testimony. Um, it was kind of one of those things. It was sort of inserted in an odd place. But they brought on a guy um, several days ago, in the second week of the trial, uh, who knows Darren Wentz, says he's friends with him, has talked to him, and that they worked together at a place called Metal Fab, a metal fabrication shop that's at 51st and Froelich. Oh, okay. So um, that testimony was important because they were saying, well, apparently Stefan Wint had been at that location too. But the. And if I'm not. If I'm correct, that's also not far from American Ironworks. It's not, but they were focusing in on this metal fab. It's literally right there at yeah. 51st and Froelich gotcha. where the van was burned. Okay. Um, and the, the guy who knows Darren and had worked with him for eight years at this metal fab place said Darren was there five days a week for eight years. Stefan apparently had been there once or twice in a truck to pick up some materials, but the prosecution really wanted to show that he had some familiarity with that location. And the jury was actually shown video of the van burning. What it looked like. Uh, it was fully engulfed in flames. Had you seen it before? I'd never seen the yeah, video before. It was actually recorded by the chief of the uh, Bladensburg Volunteer Fire Department. Oh, His so name is Vincent Pickle. He's actually a D.C. firefighter, and he volunteers with Bladensburg. He was on duty that night, and he shot video of the van as they pulled up. Okay. So he testified that it was fully engulfed in flames and that he was suspicious because it was so, as they describe, so well off, as you will hear firefighters describe things. And they eventually things. said yeah. it was an arson. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's so the van's on fire. Uh, Darren then leaves for New York on the 17th. Right. And then he goes up to New York. Uh, he phones his, or he leaves a phone number with his stepmother on how to get in touch with him because he was concerned about his green card. That's right. Arriving. Oh, the green card. Yeah, we, that's a new thing we learned. Yeah. So that Darren, um, we he he arrived in the United States when he, uh, I don't know his exact age. I'd have to calculate it, but it was in 2000. He was an adult, uh, and his green card had had expired at the time that he moved in with his mom. I'm sorry, his stepmom, and he had wanted her to help him uh, fill out the renewal application. So he called because he wanted to know, hey, when that comes back in, let me know. Right. So he was concerned about getting his green card. And uh, so she knew and had a phone number to reach him in case it came in. Right. And then, of course, we know that the DNA from the pizza crust was came back as a match to Wint on the 20th, and he was arrested on the 21st. And just to remind everybody, uh, you know, the way they got him so quickly is because he had prior uh, uh, violent crimes. And uh, if you're involved in a uh, violent crime and you're convicted, your DNA is taken in most states now, if not all. And so his DNA was in what's called CODIS. Some of you may be familiar with that. Some people just easily refer to it as the National DNA Data Bank. It's really the, all the state's data banks, and they work together. And so his DNA was in there, and because the profile was so good that it got an immediate hit. And, right. uh, and, uh, and that's how they were able to track him down. And interesting, too, that we learned that so his DNA, that pizza crust is going to be really important. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, but 
that hit in the CODIS system was done different and separately from the DNA analysis that was done in the lab. So two different reasons for that DNA to be returned and matched, or we should say consistent with Darren Wayne. Right. There was much more work to do on that pizza after they put that profile into CODIS. Right. Um, I don't know. Should we talk about the pizza crust now, or you want to yeah, talk about a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's, let's get just, to let's that, because that's, that's going to be really, very, very interesting. That, I think, is, you know, and as much as there could be a smoking gun in any case, I think you would say that's probably it. Yeah, because it puts them in the house. And as they put the numbers to it yesterday, and you heard the numbers, yeah. I did not. So go ahead and, and talk about the okay. numbers, because I think that's where people sit up and go, what? <laughs> yeah, so this is really interesting. Um the the pizza crust uh, okay you'll have to look at my facebook page if you want to see how i drew out the what the evidence looked like but it's it was one pizza crust but you know how you might take it and and take some people you, will, you actually saw a picture of yes, it yes i saw a picture yeah of i've it. not seen and this. we know that it was swabbed upstairs in the house inside the inside, box i don't know if it was swabbed inside the box the picture of it that i saw was outside of the box Okay. So um, there is some question there, and we'll get to that as well. But um, so Emily Head, the uh, forensic biologist with the ATF, she's the one that did all of the um, she, all the DNA analysis in this case. Uh, I think some other people might have helped with some other things, but she was primarily the one who testified about the DNA analysis. So she swabbed that pizza crust on two ends. So there's a what they call an unchewed end and a chewed end. The chewed end really means like it had a bite taken out of it. And the unchewed end would be like if you just that part where it's cut by the knife uh, or the pizza cutter. So on the unchewed end, the one that had a clean cut on it, um, that DNA was returned as a single source male consistent with Darren Wint. And the probability that it was somebody other than Darren Wint's DNA was one in 10 quintillion. <laughs> so, and everybody and, in the jury box went, what? Right, right. Um, and then the chewed end of the pizza crust, the one with the bite in it, they found there was a mixture of two people, one known to be a male. The major contributor, the single source, was consistent with Darren Wint. Again, that number of one in ten quintillion. There was this weird kind of minor contributor, um, but they said the DNA was not suitable for comparison. So there could be any number of reasons. Either it's a partial uh, profile or... Um, uh, other other reasons why they couldn't place that DNA to anybody else. So that raises a number of questions, right? So if if we are to believe, and I believe that we are correct here, that that would be a second individual, is how did that DNA get on that pizza? Was it someone who made the pizza and they don't know who it is? Was it somebody who breathed on it, uh, a second individual that we don't know about? Um that's the mystery here. Now, let's tie in the rest of this, and that is they had to reveal to the defense and to the jury that a number of people who were inside the house who were investigating, their DNA got onto items, and they don't know how it got there. Accidental, Accidental transfer. Accidental transfer. So we know that one ATF examiner had his DNA get onto some scissors in a closet next to the kitchen. He doesn't know how it got there. Uh Emily Head, the ATF examiner we just talked about, her DNA got onto a towel she was examining. She's guessing that it came from her, her sleeve, her brushing sleeve against it, brush, but she's not sure. Right. And then we have an <laughs> MPD officer, officer yeah. whose DNA gets onto a gas can, cut cables, and the Mosler sports car. Right. Now, Lancaster did testify when he talked about collecting the evidence that there was no electricity in the house, all the power was out. And it was very hot, and he was sweating. So, could have sweat all over the stuff. I and don't know. Emily had said yesterday that it is possible, on, on questioning from the defense, that it's possible to get your DNA by breathing on it. Yeah. And she sort of uh, gave you the impression that, you know, by breathing on it, maybe there's some spittle coming out of your, your mouth, and that's how it transfers. Now, the defense is focusing on this heavily because she spent – most of the afternoon on Wednesday on the stand, and then she spent right. all of the morning yesterday on the stand. So she was testifying extensively about this, and they are keying in on it big time. Right. Because especially with the knife 
found in the basement. Right. Now. So, the, so the, the knife, the knife that was found in the basement window, propping open a basement window. Can you show that picture? Can I show yeah. it? Um, Melanie has. Uh, <laughs> she's like Bill Hennessy, the the sketch artist I don't know here. If I can show it. Can um, you get it up there? I'll try. Or maybe take a picture of I it. I did and show take a it. picture of it. Once yeah. it? Oh, that's on my other phone. Here, look. If I do this, I'm going to have to. It's so small. You can't zoom the camera in. Yeah, but you can see it. Can you see it? Can you see that? Yeah, maybe you can. So, it's so it, so people understand it. This this window is in the basement, and as Emily had explained it, it it is facing out on to the driveway, and there's a grate over it. So let's say you're you're in your own I basement, right? See the grate clearly. That was weird to me. They I did show another picture showing the grate. Okay, so. It's it's a it's um, sort of a uh, horizontal. Uh, it's one of those windows grates. that kind of pops open like like this. Yeah, right. So the window, okay. So the window will move out from the sill. Okay. Right. So it's kind of like here. Let me. So it's like you can pull it out from the sill. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go up and down. It right? opens like this. Pulls out. Right. The knife is the handle is sitting. <laughs> So, it's so like, that it's so propped on the bottom of the sill. So if this were the window, the knife is propping it like this. Right. Okay. But then there's there's an opening and there's a well outside. Okay. And the well outside then is covered by a grate. So she's asked, could someone fit through the grate by the prosecution? She right. said, I don't think so. But then the defense said, uh, or actually, the prosecution said, do you know whether or not that grate can be removed? And she said, I don't, don't know, know that. Okay. So we know that Darren Wentz DNA is on the handle of that knife, but they did not find any blood on the blade, and they didn't find they any no fingerprints on the, on the knife. Right, no fingerprints. Yeah. Um, and the the DNA on that uh to Darren Wynn included as a possible contributor or major contributor, yeah. uh, the probability one in 90 billion. And on questioning that I heard to her, she referred to it as Darren Wynn's DNA on that knife. Um, how'd she put it? She said um, the DNA on the knife is compatible with Darren Wynn's DNA profile. Okay. So... Right, because they they're not going to ever say anymore it's his DNA. They I'm sorry, not compatible, consistent. Not consistent, okay, Consi right, see, right. Consistent is the word she used. Right. That the DNA on the knife is consistent with D with Darren Wint's profile, DNA right. profile. Uh, Raisa, yeah. did we have a question? Yes, we actually have a few. Okay. So we will start off with Sean Keith Postman. Did they test the water bottle for DNA? Yes. No, they didn't, right? Something else you want to The... Some water bottles were were tested. We do know that Philip's DNA was found on one water bottle. Philip was the little boy who was murdered. Um, they also showed pictures of the water bottles, and some of them had soot on them, indicating mm -hmm. that they were there before the fire began. Um, but they didn't say whether or not DNA was taken from those water bottles with the soot. In fact, they didn't identify which bottle Phillips DNA was found on. Did you right. hear anything different than that? I didn't hear anything on that, and my guess is is that I mean they tested more than 170 items, and one of the other things they talked about yesterday were the items that weren't tested, right? The things that got that's right potential right. evidence that could have been missed, such as the letter opener, such as the necktie drawer that Emily had pointed out. Please get me samples from those, and she did not get them and couldn't. And two other items that were propping up other windows oh, in that basement. Oh, that's right. The other two windows that were right? propped up. Right. There was a frisbee and a, and a, a, a screwdriver. Oh, okay. it was a screwdriver? A screwdriver. I see the screwdriver. Yes. Screwdriver and a frisbee and the knife. So there are three windows propped open. But the prosecutor said to, Dem to Emily Head, all right, so you didn't test the screwdriver. And she goes, well, it didn't come to me as evidence to test. He goes, you didn't test a frisbee. She goes, it didn't come to me as evidence. And he goes, do you have any information that any of these four people were killed by a Frisbee or a screwdriver? And she <laughs> said no. Right. But we, we, the fact of the matter is, is that we don't know how that knife got into that one basement window. And it's odd that all of the windows would be propped. Well, as they've said repeatedly, 
after the fire, it was very, very hot inside that right. house. And, and moldy. That, it was starting to get moldy as well. And we're just, until they give us testimony that those windows were propped open for a reason, I haven't heard that testimony. No, but, I haven't either. Yeah. So we're are we to believe that Darren Wint would prop open one window and then the other people would go around and prop open the others? Or are we to believe that someone found this knife and wasn't thinking and used it to prop open, but then somebody else's DNA would be on it, right? Yeah, I How mean, did Darren Wentz's DNA get on the knife? Yeah, we're just speculating as far as why those windows were open until somebody tells us why. Right, and nobody so far has said, I was in the basement, I propped open the window. We still haven't heard testimony about how Darren went, if he was in the house, how he how got he in the, the house. house. We've we, never right. heard, we haven't heard no, testimony we haven't about heard that. About, I mean, unless they, unless they don't know. I don't know. Walked there, metroed. Um, there's any number of ways you could get there, but no one saw a blue minivan. We know that yeah, for we've sure. never heard testimony about any. And he took a car away, or somebody took a car away. Well, he, Whoever yeah. did this took got away in the blue Porsche. Right. Right. We have a lot more DNA to, testimony to talk about, but uh, do we have another question? Lisa Patterson wanted to know if they tested for DNA in any urine in or around the toilet. Yes. Yes, they did. But I there was yes, again. they did test the toilets, uh, but there was no information as to uh, whether or not they got anything back. Uh, the simple the simple answer to that question is, the prosecutor asked Emily Head if and he actually showed a picture of the toilet, um, and asked her if she tested it, and she said yes, but there was no information given as to whether or not there was any results. Right. Because um, I know that that was one of the questions that um, we knew that the defense was going to bring up, saying, well, if you, why did you test one toilet area and not the others? How do you know that it wasn't uh, somebody else? But um, we know that as far as the samples that they use to test, um, uh, to use, I guess, as comparison samples for DNA, included um, everybody that was involved there, all of the victims, uh, Darren Wint, as well as Jordan Wallace, as well as um, the pizza delivery guy, and uh, there was another um, there was another guy who went with Jordan Wallace to the house that day um, at the fire. His Ramon was his name. Remember? Something? I haven't heard that. Yeah, it was it was someone who worked with the fire restoration company, I believe. And they also included Darrell Wint in their in their samples for comparison. Known, these testing. are known samples. Known samples. Right. They these are those. samples that you take from somebody with a swab and and then you compare it. Right. Uh, and and somebody might say, well, how would they have gotten Savop- uh, the Savopolis's DNA and Vera's DNA and Philip's DNA? Well, how they would get it is from a toothbrush, from a comb. Well, they could just take a cheek swab from, uh, from them as even after they uh, passed away, right? True. They could take it from their bodies. Right. Sure. Right. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, the pizza box, because yes. two things came out yesterday that I had not heard before, that they did find um, – the DNA of the pizza delivery man's uh, DNA on the box, but they also found Amy's DNA on the outside of the of the pizza box from blood, right? Or we don't know. They didn't. They weren't specific Someone about. Someone said there was blood on the pizza box. There were there were stains on the pizza box that Emily said yesterday that were consistent with. Uh, blood smears. Blood smears. Okay, yeah. but she couldn't type it or anything. But okay, so DNA. Wait, and again, if Amy picked up the pizza box from... Right, well, let's say she was told to go downstairs and go and retrieve the pizzas from outside the house, right. then her DNA is on the pizza box. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, Melissa Lewis had had a question about um, the pizza crust. Uh, wasn't it found in the trash? Melissa's also part of the uh, Mansion Murders Facebook group. Um, you know, I did not hear that it was found in the trash. I haven't either. Um, and I would have to assume that if it were found in the trash that the defense attorneys would have brought that up. Well, my recollection is is they've already said that the pizza was found in bedroom number one. Yes, and that was on the on the affidavit. Yeah, and that um, so uh, they there's nothing in the there's nothing in the affidavit that says anything about the pizza, the pizza itself being found anywhere different. So I just have to assume that if it were, if they were concerned about cross-contamination, like, oh, this pizza was in the trash or in a bag with other things, the defense would have brought that up and said, yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah, the, the affidavit says that uh, one of the pizzas appeared to be a whole cheese. It didn't say it was found anywhere else. And the partially eaten 
inside the pepperoni pizza box were several yeah. pieces of pizza. Right. Yeah, I, I haven't heard so anything we, different other than it was in the so box can, and it was in bedroom number one. I think we can put that to rest. And that, you know, maybe you know this better than I. Which one is bedroom number one? Bedroom one is, is the room the three where the three found. adults were yeah. held, and okay. bedroom two was the room Philip was in. So, I, um, just briefly before we move on to some other things, um, let's. I just want to sh- tell you what other DNA evidence they had. So we talked about the knife. Um, one in the probability one in 90 billion that it was Darren Wind. Um, the what else came back to Darren Wind? The other so we the, had, we had the neon knife. vest. In fact, right. I was there for that. We have they, the knife, the pizza crust, and the vest. I believe are the only things that put Darren Wind in connection to the crime scene or possibly the vehicle. The neon vest was. I was in there for that testimony. Mm-hmm. The vest was pulled out of a bag and shown to. Uh, a ATF examiner, and I'm flipping through my notes to get his name, and I don't see it here immediately. But anyway, uh, he was shown the vest, and it was a, just a crumpled mess. Yeah, uh, I saw that picture. Yeah, it was uh, burned. He's He was asked to smell it. He said, yeah, it reeks of, of gasoline. Uh, but they took uh, Darren Wint's DNA from two parts of that vest. Uh, it was the neck and tag area. And also, no, those are the, yeah, those are the two areas that I had that came back. They tested a lot of areas, but it was just the neck and tag area, I believe, it right, right in the back, where they came up with um, two people. Stephen Waite was his name with the ATF. Right. Yeah. He's the lab supervisor, I believe. Um, so two individuals, Sava and Darren. But we also have blood on the baseball bat yes. that returns to Savas and Amy. And Amy on the baseball bat. Also, I believe um, Amy's DNA, I mean, this is no surprise, right? It was. I believe it was found on the front door deadbolt. Um, you know, it's going to be there. It's stuff that you touch. And since we're talking about the front door, let me just quickly say that near the end of the testimony of Emily Head yesterday, they showed what appeared to be a letter opener that was on the ground next to the front door, and it had an evidence marker next to it. She said she was she never received that to be tested for DNA. Yeah, and we've never heard about a letter opener being found anywhere. Right. So at this point, we can't be sure that the suspect got in through the basement window by propping it open with a knife. There are, now there were other bro- there were broken windows. There were broken windows in the back of the house. Um, with a piece of DNA, with a piece of duct tape on it, but we also know that police, that firefighters break open windows, so it's hard. I think at this point we just really don't know yeah. how what their theory is into how the suspect got in. The doggy door taped was taped. Yes, I had never heard that before. But they showed the jury a picture of it. Right, it's kind of taped like a T uh, shape this way and this way. Yeah, and that doggy door, I believe, there's so in the kitchen. There's a door that leads down to the basement. So there and that there's the basement stairs. And so that when you opened it, when you saw the open pictures, it looked like a closet because they had a number of utility things hanging there. That's where the scissors were hanging. That's right. And I believe the doggy door was on the bottom of that door that led from the kitchen into the basement. Yeah, they didn't explain exactly where the no. doggy and maybe, door was. Maybe it doesn't really matter that much. But I think they showed that to show that, you know, they had this odd uh, discovery. Uh and whether or not you know DNA was taken from duct tape, but uh, they they never. I haven't heard that. anything about any DNA on duct tape, yeah. and and it was. I do find it interesting that no fingerprints. They couldn't identify prints for anybody. They even took that entire Porsche, she said, and put it in that super glue chamber. The mm. whole Porsche, not a single fingerprint on it. Yeah, yeah. The the, the it just leads you to believe that whoever was in that house doing bad deeds was wearing gloves. If there was a second person. Right. Or if Darren Went was in that house, and there's reason to believe he, of course, was, they, uh, maybe he was wearing gloves, too, because there's no DNA on the handle of the baseball bat. That's right. right. No right? DNA on the handle of the baseball bat. Right. And, and no nothing, fingerprints. And nothing on the sword, either. Yeah. Um, and uh, some people had asked... Um, about whether, if, you know, some people had characterized the sword as bloody. We can tell you now it was not. Uh, there was no blood found on the sword. There was no DNA found on the sword, except for this tiny tassel on the end. Um, it, the, the handle, if you've ever seen these samurai swords, they're kind of wrapped in leather um, and braided on the end. And then there was this tassel hanging off of it. And um, on the end of the tassel, they found some of Philip's DNA. 
but that doesn't really tell you anything. It doesn't tell you anything. No, it doesn't he tell, could except, have had access to it. Except that the sword did not have blood on it. A lot of people are wondering if they used the samurai sword to uh, commit the murders, uh, to stab the people, but we, we just can't make that we connection. We haven't heard any evidence that that happened. And we haven't heard from the medical examiner. Are we going to, or do you feel like we don't need to hear in this case? Uh, uh, good question. Typically, that's one of the first people right. you hear from. I was yeah. kind of surprised we didn't hear any of that. Yeah, I don't. They are, uh, the way they're, the prosecutors are going about this, and I mentioned to this to you, is that the, I think they're trying to keep the jury from being too bored. <laughs> right. <laughs> because they're interspersing some pretty dry testimony with some testimony that make you sit up and go, oh, that's interesting. Right. Uh, and, and you and I both took note of the jury yesterday yeah. on cross-examination. So, so the defense is really, I mean, the only thing they have at this point really is to pick apart the DNA analysis. And, and, pl- and placing him in the house with something other than the DNA. Where, right. they, where they have a circumstantial evidence of people who have seen who they believe to be Darren Wynn outside the house. Um, we've got DNA from the Porsche. His DNA is in the Porsche. And then we have the testimony. Oh, you know his DNA is on the vest. On the, the vest Porsche. that was found inside the right, Porsche. Right, right. Right. Um, you know, you can... <laughs> Can you really go to the argument that Darren Wynn, at some point, worked for American Iron Works, wore this vest, and somehow it ended up in Amy Savopoulos' Porsche, and tr- 10 years after he's fired, is still in there? You could you could try <laughs> to argue that. You know, he worked at the company. Yeah, um, you and, could try and I, and I argue believe that. that's why they had someone who worked there testify that Darren Wynn never went out in the field, that he only that's worked right. in the shop. That's right. And that the vests were used when you went out onto a job site. And that's why Sava had the hats and the vests um, in his cars and in his house. Right. Um, so the... Let's um, let's talk a little bit, because we're talking again about Darren Wynn yeah. and where he may have been. Let's talk about this testimony from Lori Atkinson. Oh, that was compelling. Very interesting testimony. And I'm flipping through my notes saying, "Where's here she is, here's Lori. So... Lori Atkinson uh, is a marketing manager for La Fontaine Bleu. La, Fent- La Fontaine Bleu is a, is a catering company that's located next to the church parking lot where the Porsche was found. Now, she took the stand on Wednesday afternoon, and she testified that um, on the evening of the 14th, she came out into the parking lot with a coworker and immediately noticed someone suspicious. And she said it was he was suspicious because he kept walking back and forth. She said he would start towards the church, then he'd come back towards La Fontaine Blue, and she became nervous, and she was watching him very closely. She was asked to describe him, and she described someone from the photographs we've seen of Darren Went from before his arrest— actually matches his description to the point where she described his dreadlocks as being tied back in sort of a small ponytail yeah. behind his head, which we know he he liked to wear his hair. And she described and him as... And we saw him wearing his hair that way in the Walmart video that was shown with him and his brother at the Walmart on Thursday evening. Yeah. So we know he wore his hair that way. She described him. She described him as muscular, and she described him as wearing a T-shirt with jeans, I believe, is how she described it. Now, here's the interesting part of this, and this is we had never heard this before, other than, I believe, Sarah Fraser had in one of her podcasts, Oh, and we right? did, air, we, and we aired that little clip okay. um, last week. If you guys were listening to the podcast last week, uh, we aired that clip as well of, of that interview. Okay, so this is the first time the public is hearing this, the jury is hearing this, that we're hearing this as evidence. And what Lori said is that the next day um, the police came to La Fontainebleau and questioned her, and they asked to see the surveillance cameras. Well, what's interesting is she says that the man seen running away with the bucket that was put out to the public in the days after the right, murder we've played that over and over again was not Darren Wynn. And she mm-hmm. said, how do you know that that's not Darren Wynn? She goes, because I saw Darren Wynn in the parking lot in front of my business. That man seen running away was smaller than Darren Wynn, and he was wearing a hoodie and he was carrying a bucket. And then the prosecutor said, well, 
have you seen video of Darren Went in the parking lot in front of your business? She said, yes. And then he says, so there's video. You've seen the video of Darren Went standing in that parking lot with you. She says, yes. Oh, my goodness. But the jury was never, it was never explained to the jury. Well, where's that video? No one's I, ever wanna, s- I, think, I think we all want to know where yeah, that video where is. Where is that video? We've never seen it. Now the question is, did the police take all of that video and do they have it? And are they saving it? Is the prosecution saving that as a slam dunk for their rebuttal case? Because we all know they're going to have a rebuttal right. case, right? But it still doesn't prove... It, it, Seeing video of him there at the parking lot still doesn't prove their case that he committed the murders. It doesn't, but it proves that he was there on the 14th, very close to where that Porsche was burning, in which his DNA was inside. Right. Right? Right. And so all along, we're led to believe that the man seen running away with a bucket was Darren Wint. In fact, Chief Kathy Lanier at the time said that they believed it was Darren Wint. Right. Bum, bum, bum. I know. Crazy racer. Do we have any other questions? <laughs> Okay, good, because I can move on. We have a few other new things that we learned about. Um, first of all, uh, a lot of people thought this was interesting. Paul, you let me know what you think about this. Apparently, we learned that Amy was wearing white pants when she was murdered. The trace evidence analyst testified that she looked at the white pants because they had what appeared to be a footwear impression in blood on them. Oh, I had not heard that. And um, they... they compared it to a shoe, some shoes of Darren Wins, and it didn't match. Um, But as all of the reporters were talking, we thought, well, this is interesting because the eyewitness said she was wearing a skirt. Uh, She said she was in athletic clothing. Athletic clothing. Yeah. Okay. Because everyone else said that she was dressed nicely. Because I wasn't there for that testimony. They yeah. said that she was dressed, dressed up nicely. nicely. Yeah. Wearing, and they, they, they thought for sure she was wearing a skirt. So okay, maybe, let me go maybe back. Maybe you have notes Margaret on that. Pressler Yeah, go was... and check it and see. Because um, one, of the, one of the things that we're trying to figure out is if indeed that woman testified that she was wearing a skirt and Amy, in fact, was wearing white pants, uh, maybe it calls into question the timeline that the prosecution is trying to put out there that Amy was out of the house at the time that um, perhaps the person broke in and um, and maybe it, it would change that. And she was apparently wearing some kind of white pants on the video when she went to see the dermatologist that particular morning. Well, so- I saw the video of her walking into the doctor's office, and it's my recollection that she was wearing pants. Right, right. Did you see that video? I did, and she was wearing pants there, so I don't know... Why there was a speculation about did did Margaret Pressler say she was wearing a skirt or did she just say she well, was I, nicely dressed? She was just said she was nicely dressed in okay. athletic clothing. And I'm going back through my notes here. I'm trying to find it as we're talking um, because uh, the main part of it was how did she definitely know it was Amy? And, and, and then she, she kept saying the bag. the bag. Yeah, that she said you know, and she then we had saw, a nice bag. And then we saw that Louis Vuitton tote bag in the uh in the foyer of of the house in that in that picture um while you're looking for that i'm going to mention okay i found the notes but you go ahead i'm going to look through this one other thing that we learned was that the savokalis family had a lot of guns in the house they had there were four guns that were found in a uh in a file cabinet you know those um you know like kind of beige colored steel file cabinets that was in their office there were four guns in there um, just kind of stuffed in between bags and jewelry cases and things. Hold Ammunition. It. Oh, you got it? I found it. Okay. Okay. Back to Margaret Pressler. I'm going to read you what my my notes say. She said, it was a Wednesday. I saw Amy walking up the street from the Oyster School. She looked nice, wore athletic clothes, had a lovely bag over her shoulder. She was walking at a normal pace. She had a knee-length skirt on and a sweater draped over her shoulders. So how does that athletic clothes and skirt, maybe like a tennis skirt? Well, maybe like a, you know, you see women now wearing these these running skirts. I wear those all the time, so I get what she's saying. But skirt and pants are definitely two different things. Yeah. So and that would have been right before the abduction happened. So that might call into question her whether she actually saw her or not. 
Or that she somehow changed but, uh, clothes once after the abduction. But why? Which seems crazy, Which would seem doesn't really it? Really weird. Yeah. Right? Yeah, really weird. It does. Um, so the thing I was talking right, about. Go was, back to the yeah, guns. The guns. Yeah. Um, so there were four guns that were found in this file cabinet, um, the ammunition, and $13,000 in cash. I hadn't heard that before. In the file cabinet. Wow. And we saw pictures of the cash in baggies. It was in, um, I, I don't remember the denominations. But, um, wow. And in the basement. Well, why wouldn't he have taken that? Why, why wouldn't would the killer have taken that? Or why not offer it? Hey, dude, yeah. I got $13,000 right here. Right. Just take it and go. Plus, you have the safe down in the garage, and we don't even we know what any- was in that. We haven't heard anything about the safe. No, we right? haven't. No, nothing. So I don't, and, and I feel like they've kind of, they've moved on from the evidence now. We've, we've, they've already cataloged this litany of things that they collected from the house. I don't think we're going to hear any more about um, other physical pieces of evidence but we did hear that um in the basement there were they didn't say the quantity but there were rifles and long guns i had not heard that either i know that they had taken a lot of quote-unquote weapons out of the house at the time we reported that but we didn't know what kind of weapons right and so a sword could be a weapon and a knife could be a weapon yeah but i didn't know they had all those and again it's just it's just one of those things where people talk about missed opportunities and um you know if there had been any opportunity i think for Sava to break away and get into the office. You can guarantee he probably would have grabbed one of those guns. You'd think, but I don't really know. Um, so that's why the case is so interesting. <laughs> it is so interesting. Um, oh, and yeah, we also learned we talked about the fingerprints a little bit. Um, there were some fingerprints that were recovered, but it was any fingerprints that were recovered returned to Sava or um, Amy. Uh, nothing. So there. So we know that the the, the defense is gonna uh, the prosecution claim is going to say that Darren Wint was wearing gloves, and that's why his his DNA and his fingerprints were well, his fingerprints in particular weren't. Yeah, the weren't fingerprints found have gone nowhere. Um, it hasn't helped the case at all, one way or the other. They presented a lot of testimony on fingerprints. They could have just said. We didn't find anybody's you know, fingerprints. I felt the same thing. Like, okay, you're taking you know? the jury through this very yeah. long and tedious lesson right. on fingerprint right. ridges and matching and what a fingerprint is and yeah. how you can tell to only say, yeah, we, we, didn't, we, find we didn't find anything. That, that, that to me was sort of like <laughs> the, the, that, that big letdown. You're waiting for the big moment. Of yeah. dun- when it, what, you know, what are you going to tell me now? And nothing? Really? Yeah. We just went through all that for nothing? Right. Um, another interesting thing uh, in the case uh, was I kind of brought this up in one of my stories last week, this testimony that they may not ever hear, which has to do with the hair evidence, mm-hmm. because yeah. we were told in opening out statements, of the out of the earshot of the, of the jury. Yeah. So they started to lead the, the, um, the trace analyst expert. So, I mean, trace evidence. Trace evidence, they said, basically, is anything that can fall off of, you know, they basically, they'll take an item, they'll put it over clean paper in sterile environment and scrape it down, and anything that falls, fibers, hairs, those kind of things, they analyze those, see what they are, where they could come from, to try to see, you know, because if you enter a place, you might leave trace fibers or hair. If you then go to another place, you might take it somewhere else, and that's one way that they can um, connect people to places and, and movements. So they were leading her down the road of this hair because we'd heard in opening statements that there were also two hairs that were found, one in a piece of bedding and one in a hard hat. Right. And they wanted testimony on that, and she was going to say that it was from the head of an African-American. That's it. Mm-hmm. And the defense objected vigorously, said they didn't know that the testimony was going to be that it was a head hair. Why that matters, I'm not sure. Um, but they definitely did not want this testimony to come in. My guess is this goes back to what we now know is that hair analysis that the FBI had used for many, many years is junk science. As defense attorneys have claimed for a very long time, I've reported on this extensively, that there have been a number of cases that relied on hair analysis, and they've all been thrown out. Uh, people that were convicted of uh, rape, murder. Uh, and it turns out that the, they relied heavily on hair analysis, and it was wrong. It's junk science. Right. So you can't, you can't compare one hair to another and say that it's an identical match. You can't do it. But that's not what they were going to do. 
they weren't going to talk about pattern match. They were only going to say that it was consistent with a head hair from an African-American. And I think that's where the defense can really make an argument that this is unfair, that you can't go there right. unless you can use mitochondrial DNA um, to say that it comes from the Wint family or someone consistent with Darren's DNA, right? right? Or it has, we were struggling over this word two weeks ago, what, right. follicle, the right? The root. The root, right. which is what, a follicle? Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah. But yeah. here's the interesting thing, right? So the, the defense brought that hair up at, that they were going to use it, use mitochondrial DNA as part of their defense to say that it was the brother, not Darren. Mm. So if they, if they seek to have that testimony thrown out, mm -hmm then they can't use that either. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. They, they have to go back and think, apparently, about whether they're going to um, launch an, an objection and file an objection um, to have it thrown out. The judge said that she thinks that the testimony that the prosecution was going to put on about just the fact that it is uh, African-American head hair is straightforward. But she wants to be very cautious. And I talked with our friend uh, Dave Benowitz, um, with Price Benowitz uh, attorneys, uh, and he said, look, judges want to be very cautious. They don't want to throw a landmine into a case that might be brought up on appeal. Sure, of course. But if you're just going to introduce evidence that, you know, a, a African-American head hair was found in Philip's bedroom in his mattress, I think— it's not that mattress, right? No, it no, it was, bedding, it was bedding from the bedroom one. Bedroom one, okay, yeah. right. So, okay, so then what are you going to do? You're going to uh, argue, well, what about all the work people that have been inside that house uh, over the years, right? Right, I mean, it, I mean so, are you going to say that, that an African-American male has never been in that bedroom? Right, yeah, it, it did seem a little odd to me that what what is the evidentiary value, unless they were going to introduce the hair and then introduce the DNA from the root of the hair, but because they couldn't introduce the hair, they couldn't introduce the DNA but from it? But if they it? had the know. root of that hair, they would have been able to get a DNA profile from it. You're right. So I don't know why the, I don't even know why the defense yeah, brought it up we're gonna in, have to in, their, in their opening statement. Yeah. They're the ones who said mitochondrial DNA, and you're going to find it, uh, you know, it, it was the half-brothers. So... Hmm. Well, I, I yeah, that, that's I gonna, that we're going to have to. Interesting. Bef let's before we run out of time here. Let's talk about oh the Facebook. Oh my goodness! Yes. How could we forget the Facebook post? This is um, the I found to be very very interesting. We we knew that they were going to bring this up because they'd filed it, and I actually did a story about it a few weeks before the trial began that they were going to use Facebook information. Right. So they had a Secret Service analyst on the stand. Uh, who went through thousands of pages of Darren Wint's postings on his Facebook page, right? Right. And so the thing that stood out to me the most is, and they showed this to the jury, they showed graphs, and they showed these graphs showing how much he was using Facebook in periods of time, blocks of weeks right. leading up to the murders, right? From April 1st, I believe it was, and then in blocks of time, six hours at a time. And they were showing these graphs to show how often he was posting. And in some six-hour blocks, he was posting as many as 70 times. Ugh. Okay? However— I do not have time for that kind of Facebook activity. Who does? <laughs> I might post once a week. <laughs> right. So, uh, however, here's the dun-dun-dun. Is on May 13th, the day of the abductions, he posts nothing. Right. On May 14th, the day of the murders, he posts nothing except at 7.33 p.m., he posts a status update. Can you see that? Let me see. Uh, let me try to get you on I don't know if we can zero in on that. Can you see it? These letters is what he posted. B-T-D-U-Z. B-T-D-U-Z. What the heck does that mean? So, and you know, there's been all kinds of speculation. Somebody said it's like a World of Warcraft character. Um, people have, like, posted about um, there's some astrological thing where you can tell what each character means. And then the other thing that's come up, um, it would be a misspelling, but a lot of kids, they say B-T-Dubs. Hmm. B-T-Dubs is like B-T-W, by the way. But then that wouldn't make any sense because... Unless he didn't know how to spell it. I don't, I don't but know. Then why would, what would even, by the way, mean? Now, um, 
here's a twist, right? Is that his girlfriend in New York, Vanessa, yeah. she's sending him messages through this whole period of time, the 13th and 14th. Hey, babe, where are you? Hey, you just want to hear your voice. I want to know you're right. okay. Are you okay? She sent three or four messages that he never responded to. Now, are we going to hear from her? Does she know what that means? <laughs> are they going to put her on the stand? I'm, I'm fascinated to find out who is going to take the stand for the defense's case. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that any of... Uh, Sometimes they just rely on their questioning of the prosecution's witnesses, and then they stand on that. We, we won't know until they actually take it. But there was uh, some conversation in the courtroom, I think Wednesday, that they expect the prosecution to wrap up on Thursday. I figured they were getting close to the end. Yeah. So a couple more days. But what else would they have? What else do we think they need to put on? Well, that's just it. I mean... Uh, there's still, I think, people that people may want to hear from. Vanessa is one, right? Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I we'd be speculating. I don't know who else you know, well, they've would got. They, so they opened with a very emotional, this is what nightmares are made of. Yeah. Do you think they will also close maybe then with medical examiner and th- something that's really going to um, drive have home an Im- have the an impact viciousness on the jury? of the crime? Because as we've as we've talked about before, you have to prove that these people are dead. You bring on the ME. The ME talks about the wounds, uh, mm. uh, shows photographs of the deceased, uh, and um, that's that's got to come. I don't see how they can't get around that. Yeah. Well, you know, Paul and I both will be working this trial again for another week. Any more questions? No? Okay. So um, I think we've covered almost all of it. If you guys have any more questions, of course, you can um, send them to me or you can send them to Paul on our Facebook pages. Facebook pages, Paul Wagner Fox 5. I think so. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> we need to get you a little more you active Google on it. your you social can find media. It. Yes. Uh, and I'm a, a Fox, a Melanie Alnwick Fox 5, I think. Am I? See, look, I don't even remember what my Facebook is. You guys know how to find me. Fox Size Melanie Alnwick Something like on, that. on Facebook. And again, of course, um, uh, join our Mansion Murders Facebook group. Uh, if you like this podcast, if you want to hear it, if you want to subscribe to our future podcast, you can do that through uh, iTunes. You can do it on Google Play. And you can also do it through Audio Boom. So um, thanks again, Paul. Anything else? think of no i i think we've covered i think that we've covered the news of the week <laughs> and there was a lot of a it, lot of it. a lot of it to go through yep. all right great well hopefully you guys will join us back here next week and again if you have any questions we'll we'll definitely try to answer them thanks so much guys bye